Chapter 1. The Man Who Died I returned from the city about three o'clock on that May afternoon, pretty well disgusted with life. I had been three months in the old country and was fed up with it. If anyone had told me a year ago that I would have been feeling like that, I should have laughed at him. But there was the fact. The weather made me liverish. The talk of the ordinary Englishman made me sick. I couldn't get enough exercise, and the amusements of London seemed as flat as soda water that has been standing in the sun. Richard Hannay, I kept telling myself, you have got yourself into the wrong ditch, my friend, and you had better climb out. Mm, well, we've certainly climbed out of London, haven't we? Eh? We certainly have. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode we take a famous book out into the wild to see if the world of fiction matches up with the real world. Hello, my name is Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and a producer of immersive fiction. Uh, my name's Lloyd Shepherd. I'm a digital producer and a writer and I'm currently a swatter of flies. There are many flies and insects. He doesn't mention that in the book, does he? He doesn't mention the insects. John Buchan, the author of the book we're doing this time around. The 39 Steps. Yes, a very famous book, listener. Published in 1915, written mainly in 1914. So uh, something big was going on in the world. Uh, it's the third of our chase thrillers. And it's the granddaddy. It's the granddaddy of them all, really. We've done Rogue Man and the Widow of Bath, but this is the kind of ur text. And you can hear the sound of running water. And you can't hear the sound of millions of insects. Now, you may think you know this book, The 39 Steps. Probably think that because you've seen the film. Yes. Well, the film is quite different to the book. Quite different. And uh, so you're going to get a few surprises. It's going to be a bumpy ride. (laughs) As we it's go a bumpy along. ride for Richard Hannay, and it's a bumpy ride for us. We've already had a bumpy ride getting up here. <laughs> so, we've decided to start in Scotland, because what happens in this book is that a man called Richard Hannay, a South African adventurer, has returned to London, and within a few days of being back, he's found a dead body in his flat yeah. of a, of a neighbour called Scudder, yeah. who only a day before, or a few days before, has revealed to him that he's being chased by a secret organisation called the Black Stone. Well, he doesn't mention the Black Stone at that stage, does he? he no, just he says, doesn't, actually. He basically says it's a Jewish conspiracy at that stage. Yes. Which makes the Shame modern reader him. incredibly itchy. Shame on him. But it turns out not to be no. that. And the conspiracy is around preparation for the war, the yep. oncoming war, and that dastardly German agents are everywhere in the UK trying to find out secrets of Britain's preparation for the war. And the only person who knows about their secret network and their dastardly deeds is Richard Hannay. Because well, he's he got has... hold of Scudder's secret book. He's got hold of Scudder's secret book. It's all going to kick off on June the 15th. The date is given. Yes. It's currently the end of May, as you heard in that reading. Somewhat mystifyingly, <laughs> Richard Hannay decides to go to ground... Yes, well, he thinks he's going to be accused of the murder of Scudder. So he's escaping from the police and from the But he's also got to find the, some time uh, to solve the riddle of the notebook that says the key location where all things will be resolved is somewhere called the 39 Steps. His logic is that he should get away from the police and get away from the German agents. So he needs to go to the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and spend time decoding Scudder's book. So where does he go? Well, he goes to he goes to Galloway and Dumfries, Galloway, in southwest Dum- Scotland. Yeah, uh, which and is where, where are we, we now? Are, this is where we are now standing, and this is where it all really kicks off the action. This is where the big chase happens. That's it. The famous chase through the low highlands, lowlands. What do you call lowlands. these? The hills of Galloway. The hills of Galloway. But at first, I think we should play some light Scottish music, and then take you to the station. Well, this is or the lot, railway line. I'm very excited because we're going to an abandoned railway line. You've got lots this to say. Book, this book has got train timetables and an abandoned railway line and train maps. And tie tables. And another appearance for Mr Beeching. Wow. It's very exciting. It's very heaven for you, isn't it? <laughs> very, very heaven. Scotch 
Why he will Wallace bled, Scots from Bruce has often led. Welcome to your gory bed, or to victory. Now's the day and now's the hour. See the front of battle hour. See approach proud Edward's power, chains and slavery. About five o'clock, the carriage had emptied and I was left alone as I had hoped. I got out at the next station, a little place whose name I scarcely noted, convenient, <laughs> set right in the heart of a bog. It reminded me of one of those forgotten little stations in the Karoo. An old station master was digging in his garden and with his spade over his shoulder, sauntered to the train, took charge of a parcel and went back to his potatoes. A child of ten received my ticket, and I emerged on a white road that straggled over the brown moor. So, that's it, he's got off the train. He jumps off the train. He says, and this is where I'm going to have to take exception to Mr Buchan, because I have consulted Bradshaws. Well done, sir. The 1910 Bradshaws, indeed, so only four years before this book was written. Yeah. He says, a search in Bradshaw informed me that a train left St Pancras at 7.10, which would land me at any Galloway station in the late afternoon. OK. Most of that is wrong. <laughs> there is a 7.10 train leaving from London to Dumfries. So he would take the train from London to Dumfries, and then yeah. he'd have to change trains in Dumfries to take the Galloway line, which runs west from Dumfries out yeah. towards Stranra. He does but say he changes at Dumfries. The reason it's there is obviously because Stranra is where you've got the ferry to Belfast. So there is a seven, 10 past 7 train from uh, London to Dumfries, but it goes from Euston, not St Pancras. Oops, he's at the wrong station. There is a St Pancras train leaving at 5am. He's not doing that, is he? If he gets the 10 past 7, yeah. he gets to Dumfries at 4.23 in the afternoon. OK, good. The trouble with that is yeah. he's missed the train to Galloway. Why wouldn't they? Because that for leaves the at three fifty-five. Oh, There's not another train into Galloway until eight thirty. So right. when he says it would land me at any Galloway station in the late afternoon, no, it won't, mate. <laughs> you want the five o'clock from St Pancras, and then everything would work. Is he worked backwards from the idea that he wants to be here? And we should say we're here, listener. We are. We, we're, we're in Galloway. We're in Galloway. We're actually standing on a railway line a or what was a railway so yeah. this was standing on what was the railway line from Dumfries to Stranra it's a beautiful embankment isn't it's it beautiful it runs through what's now an estate yeah technically we're trespassing but Tim assures me there's no such thing as trespassing in Scotland exactly right and then told me a story about having a gun drawn on him when he was trespassing in Scotland so make of that what you will this is my life with Tim so in the book he it's rather complicated in the book he gets off the train at a station yes as described in the reading you just did he then walks north from the station. Walks through the, through the hills. Into, or the, into, the ni- into the night, basically. Yep. And then spends the night at a farm. Yes, gets taken in. And the next morning, he walks back south again and gets on a train one or two stops further down the line towards Stranra, right? That's right. And then he gets on, a tra- he gets on that train. Going back, back to, to Dumfries. That's right. This is trying to shake off the followers. Yeah. Goes back to Dumfries and jumps off the train at another station or just past another just station. Just past another station. So there's three stations we need to identify. Yes. Where does he get off? Yeah. Where does he get back on? And where does he jump off? Yeah. Over to you. So here's the thing. If you go looking for people who love the thirty nine steps and want to talk about dates and locations, nearly every single one of them identifies the second station, i.e. the one where he gets back, back on, on the train yeah. to go back towards Dunfries as the Loch Skerrow Holt. Uh-huh. And the reason is, is the description of the station that he finds fits that very well. A lonely place. There seemed no road to it from anywhere. A loch, a little tarn, lies close by. Now, that's not written by John Buchan, that bit, actually. It says it's a summary by the late, great Ian Jack. Mm. Very eminent writer. Yeah. Very well very, respected, very well very, regarded. Very eminent Scott. Yeah. And he says, Eventually I came across an old Bartholomew's map and found what had to be the very place, Loch Skerrow Holt, high on the moor above Gatehouse of Fleet and next to a little loch, no sign of other human habitation, roadless 
an apparently pointless fits the bill, right? Mm. He says, I wanted to go there, perhaps with a picnic and the girlfriend I had yet to find. But the station closed before I could. Two years later, in 1965, the last trains ran through it when the entire Galloway line from Dumfries to Stranware was abandoned. Now, so why aren't we... Well, you have brought, you have brought me to Loscarrow Hall. You brought me somewhere completely different, uh, further down the line. Yeah. Shall I tell you why? Why? Because Ian Jack's talking a load of nonsense. <laughs> he's one of these people. He, he's done. Uh, he's done. He's a, done a McFarland. He's done a McFarland. <laughs> he's is that he's taken the description of the place and fitted it to a place in the real world that seems to fit that description, but has paid no attention whatsoever to what was going on before he got to that place and what was going on after it. Well, the other thing he's not paying any attention to is the history of the British Railways. Well, that's a heinous crime. Well, in my book, absolutely. Yeah. Because Loxgarrow Halt didn't open until... The 50s. The 50s. <laughs> it wasn't even it there. Wasn't even there. And it certainly didn't have a ticket office. <laughs> so there's no way Richard There's Hannes. no way it's Loxgarrow, but yeah. everybody says it is. Yeah. Everybody well, says it is. It's so not. It's not. So where is it? Well, we've come to a place called Gatehouse. Gatehouse. And if hey, you, in Bradshaw's was called Dromery, out of interest. So, oh, is it? Yeah, so. Okay, that's interesting. It's got two names. Maybe that was the confusion. Yeah. So what I'm saying to you is that the other station that you go through from Dromfries is New Galloway. Yes. Now, we don't think it can be New Galloway because he also talks about this idea that he walks... The next morning he walks... Walks over down the... Down the side of... What's it called? The Cairnsmoor of Fleet. The Cairnsmoor of Fleet, which big is a hill. big hill. Right behind us here. Which is north, to the north of us here. To, for him to come back down the side of that the following morning, yeah. he has to be somewhere near there. He's got to be in this and area. And New Galloway is... It's too far that f- way. Too far to the east. Way too far. Yeah. Way too far. So it has to be Gatehouse. So we're saying it's Gatehouse, this place called Gatehouse, yeah. which is where we are standing right now. It's where now. he got off the first time. Yeah. Then he goes somewhere in the hills, he stays overnight yeah. at a farmhouse. We haven't found that, to be fair. But then he's going to go further down the line, jump on the train and come back. Yeah. If he goes down that way, what's the next station down there? Um, You've got the map. I've got you? the map here. So Palneur looks pretty good. Palneur. So we're saying that... It's, it's the station before Newton Stewart, which is where he buys his ticket to, right? There you go. He buys his ticket from London to Newton Stewart. Yes. So we're in the right place. Everyone else is wrong. Ian Jack and everybody else. else were in the wrong place. We're right. They're wrong. They're wrong. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Always certain. I'll be a traitor knave I can fill a coward's grave I say base as be a slave Let him turn and flee I for Scotland's king and law Freedom's sword will strongly draw Freeman stand or freeman for Let him on with me So, um, where are we? We're actually sitting at a picnic table it's like a studio has been laid out for us. Lovely in bench. In a bowl. Lovely bench. Beneath the viaduct at uh, Dremore. We're sitting in the Cairnsmoor of Fleet National Nature Reserve. Yes. Through which the old abandoned railway runs. And we're sitting ne- right next to the viaduct. Well, we couldn't not come to the viaduct. No, because A, it's spectacular. Yeah. And B, it actually features in the film, the 1935. It's iconic in the film, Alfred Hitchcock film. The film was enormously influential. Orson Welles described it as a masterpiece. Did he now? I read something else that someone else said. It set the template for all kind of spy thrillers. Ah, I think that was future. Robert Town. This Robert Town, the screenwriter. He says, It's not much of an exaggeration to say that all contemporary escapist entertainment begins with the 39 well, steps. There you go. That's yeah. amazing, isn't Very it? Very good. Anyway, we decided we'd come here and then thought, well, this is as good a place as any to talk about the author. The author, John Buchan. Yes. John Buchan, first Baron Tweedsmuir. As he yeah. eventually became. Born in 1875, yeah. died in 1940. He's called Baron Tweedsmoor because he took that name when he was, he had to be, later on in his life, he was made Governor General of Canada. Oh. And in order to be Governor General, he had to be in the House of Lords. Oh, so he was organising all the people smuggling. He was organising the people smuggling. The, we discussed before, in, in the, the Widow, uh, of Bath. Widow of Bath. It's all, it's all Buckham. Ah, oh, that makes uh, sense. Unfortunately, I think he was dead by then. Now, interestingly, in the war, the war comes along and he essentially sets up. Well, what would Orwell would later come come to call the Ministry of Truth, but he basically sets up the Ministry of Information, which is a propaganda unit. Well, he, he was gets... reporting directly to Asquith, a thousand pounds a year being paid to set up this propaganda unit. He made two films as the Ministry of Information. Oh, yeah. um, he he pioneered kind of making mass media. Uh, essentially, they were aiming propaganda not at the British, but they were aiming it at the Americans. Right. The whole point was to kind of 
portray the you know the, the fight as being a the noble battle right. and uh, the, the americans needed to join in and so he actually made a film with dw griffith did he hearts of the world 1917 gosh that's amazing buchan used to say publishing is my business writing is my amusement and politics is my duty yeah, that's quite cool it's not a bad description of his career really yeah and he was very well connected. He was very good friends with Ramsay MacDonald. I mean, his politics was always of the right. Yeah. But he, would, he was described as a kind of liberal free trader. I've got this thing that he's... The, 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 the constant fear of anarchy yes. in his life. Yeah. I found that... You're going to like this. I found in literarylondon.org, and it says here, the concept of liminality Ooh. is crucial for an understanding of Buchan and his fiction. God. Liminality. Liminality. In which his major preoccupation was the thinness of the line between civilization and anarchy. He's a staunch conservative, maybe with liberal values, but really his conservatives comes down to the fact that you've got to hold the line because the, the line gates, is thin. The and if they the break gates. through, the it's anarchy. Yeah, yeah. The enemies at the gates. Yeah. Also, there is a Scots mafia going on here. You know, he's very well connected with all the most powerful people who from Scotland. Or well, Ramsay MacDonald. Well, and Scotland has a lot of Scots are in places of authority. There's loads of them in the Cabinet, yeah. loads of them in the War Office. Yeah. Even in the War Propaganda Bureau, he's got alongside him Arthur Conan Doyle and our old Q-Spec friend J.M. Barry. Seeing in the same office. Gets everywhere, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? You talk about a networker. So, 1933, Stanley Baldwin asked him to be Governor General of Canada. Yes. He goes there. Very, very big success in Canada. Very important, actually. Organised the first official visit by an American president, Roosevelt. Oh, did he? So he was a key figure in working the Americans up, preparing, preparing for the Second World War. Okay. But there's a couple of archive films of him that he did an annual message to the nation. And they're on YouTube. So you get a sense of what he sounds like. Oh, okay. And also, he's a very neat and tidy man. Very well. He's very carefully cultivated. Yes. Uh, no, he does image. look it. He looks very careful with his appearance. An interesting kind of little postscript, which I thought I found intriguing. Yeah. He's cremated in Montreal. His ashes are returned by a destroyer to Britain, and they're buried in Ellsfield Churchyard under a fine gravestone designed by Sir Herbert Baker. And then it says, His chauffeur and friend of 20 years, Amos Webb, who suffered a stroke soon after, was buried next to him. Hello. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, little factoid, isn't it? Where was his wife at the time? Well, his wife, she wasn't happy in Canada. She got suffered depression while she was in Canada. She didn't die until 1977. And where was she buried? It doesn't say. Not next to the chauffeur. <laughs> Three's too many in a marriage. So it's, it's a... A funny fact, that isn't it? I mean, I don't know whether that's just the person who wrote this kind of. He was just buried in the same churchyard and happened to be next door. There's an odd implication there, though, isn't it? I mean, well, I think it's just he loves male company, doesn't he? He does. I mean, the thing is, there are no women in the book, really, particularly hardly any. There's two women mentioned. They don't have a really active role in the book at all. It's all about blokes together. Yeah. In fact, I've read one of his other books, The Powerhouse. And it's the same. There are no women involved. It's all blokes at clubs, yeah. poring over maps, getting on trains. He's it's not like that. podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's, no, there's women. no women involved. <laughs> not that I know of, anyway. <laughs> and I'm driving, aren't I? So are you going to get yourself buried next to me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very glad to have the opportunity of giving a New Year message to the people of Canada. When I spoke on this occasion last year, I had only been two months in the country. Since then I have been more than a year. I have travelled from the Atlantic to the Pacific. I have seen a good deal of the prairies and something of the north. I can only say that my experiences have made me more than ever in love with Canada and its people, and more than ever convinced of the greatness of Canada's future. My plan had been to get out at some station down the line, but the train suddenly gave me a better chance, for it came to a standstill at the end of a culvert which spanned a brawling, porter-coloured river. I looked out and saw that every carriage window was closed 
and no human figure appeared in the landscape. So I opened the door and dropped quickly into the tangle of hazels which edged the line. It would have been all right but for that infernal dog. Under the impression that I was decamping with its master's belongings, it started to bark and all but got me by the trousers. This woke up the herd who stood bawling at the carriage door in the belief that I had committed suicide. I crawled through the thicket, reached the edge of the stream, and in cover of the bushes put a hundred yards or so behind me. And then from my shelter I peered back and saw the guard and several passengers gathered round the open carriage door and staring in my direction. I could not have made a more public departure if I had left with a bugler and a brass band. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, where does that happen? Where does that happen? So then there's only a few more stations before you get to Dumfries. There's New Galloway Station, and then there's uh, Cross Michael, which is a bit further down here, and then there's where we're standing. So we're back standing on the abandoned railway We're on the railway again. It's good, isn't it? We're on the edge of Loch Ken, into which the River Dee and the River Ken both feed. And Parton Railway Station, as in Dolly, was alongside Loch Ken. The bridge is still here. The viaduct across the river is still here. He describes it as a culvert. Private property, no trespassing. He describes it as a culvert, which is rather an odd Ooh. phrase to use. But it is, a, it is quite a low... If you think of the Firth of Fourth Bridge and then scale it right back down, yeah. it's like a low version of that with That's four right. arches. We think he then goes east from here, like northeast. Yeah. But if he, comes, if he gets off the train the other side of Loch Ken, you have to ask yourself, how does he get across Loch Ken? Yeah, it's quite a wide piece of water, right? He doesn't mention going across the river other than on the train. So He must have come across. This feels quite good. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit discombobulated because it says I was in a wide semicircle of moorland with the Brown River as radius and the high hills forming the northern circumference. Yeah. And I was a bit worried that that was the River Dee. Yeah. And the River Dee is actually the other side of the bridge. The question is then, well, how does he get across the river if he's going to go east? Yeah. Which is what he essentially does. Because this body of water that's called Loch Ken yeah. goes a long way north to south. It cuts off the whole west to east route. Yeah, yeah. Because the railway has to go across it. So and this is where it comes it. across it. So if he gets off at Parton, and if the landscape looks rather different to how it does now, where yeah. it's more cultivated, yeah. it's 100 years ago, so it probably does. There are very high hills to the north of us. Yes, you saw on the OS map there was a viewing area. There's a viewing area, but we're not entirely clear how you get to it. No. But, um, so I, I think you can make a very good case for it. It's not, it's not perfect. No. But I don't see any other way that it could fit in. No, I think this is good. Yeah, and now this is the exciting bit because we're going to get off the train line and the proper chase begins because this is also the first sighting of the aeroplane. <laughs> Come on. He says... I looked into the blue May sky and there I saw that which set my pulses racing. Low down in the south, a monoplane was climbing into the heavens. I was as certain as if I had been told that that aeroplane was looking for me and that it did not belong to the police. And we've got to remember that that's a new technology in 1915. Yes. People aren't seeing aeroplanes very often. Well, I'm pretty sure it didn't belong to the police. No. I think he, he could be certain of that. Almost certainly it didn't belong to the police. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club and some wind. The podcast is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to get part two of this episode... Windswept episode... Yes, this chase of Richard Hannay across Britain, not just Scotland. If you want part two, when we head off down to Broadstairs and actually try and find the actual 39 steps, you can get that right away if you pay us £2 by supporting us on Patreon. In return for your £2, you'll get immediate ad-free access to every episode, but you'll also get a whole bunch of extra stuff. We get photos and videos, all our show notes and links that we find when we're doing the research. Um, We also do a maps... Tim will be doing the map for this one, so it will be very lovely. Well, it will be sort of arty, but not very be, useful. It won't be as functional as mine. Not though. very useful, no. I go for I go for functionality, Tim goes for beauty. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I use crayons, basically. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in, your, in your little rough padded cell. Yeah. Yes, um, but for £5, Tim, you can, you can upgrade your membership, can't you? You can, and you get access to a Discord server where a small cabal of literary lovers gather together to discuss our adventures. Yeah. Um, they talk about us. We love it. Well, and we talk to them. So we basically post them advanced pictures of our 
outings such as today. We discuss books we might do in the future. We have general chit-chat about books and adventures we like yep. and other topics. Yep. There was much debate about Rogue Mail and the location of the Holloway that was very helpful for that episode. Yeah. And it's a very friendly environment. It's Web 1.0, Tim. That's what it is, is it? It's lovely. It's like the wet internet used to be before yeah. it all got rubbish. That's £2 or £5. Take yeah, so your pick. Just go to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. Sign up there and you can have access to all our lovely stuff. Now, back to the podcast. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. away from the rivers and the bridges and the trains for a little peace and quiet in a sheep field Can just off the main road because I feel we need to discuss the events of 1915 when this book was published the first world war is really kicked into gear by this time massively so two horrible things happened so this book comes out in October 1915 yeah September 1915 is the Battle of Loos. Yes. And that is when Kitchener's new army has its first real battle. Yeah. But it is also the moment that both sides use chemical weapons quite significantly. Yeah. And the British managed to do that great thing of opening up the canisters of gas just as the wind changed. <laughs> So that, in fact, it blew back in their faces and kills quite a number of British soldiers. It's not funny, is it? It's bad. It's appalling. I had quite a lot of stuff that wasn't First World War related. Oh, do you? Good for you. Did you read about the Battle of Broken Hill? No. It's extraordinary. What's that, then? So the Battle of Broken Hill was uh, in Australia. It was actually on the 1st of January 1915, so it was only just in 1915. Oh, okay. Two men shot dead four people and wounded seven more. The two men were later identified as former camel drivers from India. What? Badshah Mohammed Ghul and Mullah Abdullah. They essentially opened fire on a train. Ooh. Walked around the town shooting people. It's like a very sort of late 20th century, 21st century terrorist attack. Allegedly, Ghul Mohammed left a letter in his waistcoat belt which stated that he was a subject of the Ottoman Sultan and oh. that I must kill you and give my life for my faith, Allah, Allahu Akbar. But there's a lot of uh, speculation that was all invented after the fact. Actually, they wanted nothing to do with Turkey and the Ottoman Empire. It was all just some local grudge that had kicked off. Well, I would like to talk about Gunter Pluschau, an aviator and aerial explorer. He was sent to a prisoner of war camp in Leicestershire on May the 1st, 1915. And on July the 4th, 1915, he escaped during a storm, headed for London. Disguised as a worker... Pluchow felt safe enough to take souvenir photographs of himself at the London docks. <laughs> he saw the fairy Princess Juliana sailing for neutral Netherlands and sneaked on board. What? So he is the only German combatant during either World War to have successfully escaped from a prison camp in the British Isles. Wow. 
Well, we've been jumping on and off in trains of Scotland. Yeah. So I was also reading about the Quintinsill rail oh, disaster. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, collision and fire killed 226. Yeah. Largest rail fatalities in, in the United Kingdom ever. That's really not far from here, you know. Mainly soldiers. And then also we've got James Joyce, Tristan Tsar and Vladimir Lenin all, all moving to Zurich. That's, I think that's my favourite Tom Stoppard play. Subject of travesties. Travesties, where he, he, he uses that yeah. for that, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, let's talk about literature then. Go on. I was interested to see that The Valley of Fear, the yeah. Sherlock Holmes novel, appears in 1915. And I realised, of course, that in that story, there's a sort of secret society, isn't there, of nefarious goings-on. And I think right at the end, Sherlock Holmes goes, well, of course, we know who's behind all of this. And mentions Professor Moriarty. Moriarty. In 39 Steps, there's a very nefarious and clever professor with a library. Hooded eyes. Who's who's organising everything. He must be thinking of Moriarty. He must be thinking of Moriarty. Don't you think? Yeah, he must be. The other thing that came out this year was the metamorphosis. Good amount of paranoia in that. Yeah, absolutely. And the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh, yes. T.S. Eliot's first major hit. Yeah, so Pound is doing the cantos. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Wyndham Lewis is organising the Vorticist exhibition. Oh, well. So they're yeah, all coming yeah. out of the woodwork. They're coming to confuse you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no wonder. This is the, they're the kind of people that Buckham would consider to be creative anarchists, wouldn't he? Who would think they're, they're part of the conspiracy, Absolutely. aren't they? Absolutely. To make things more complicated and hard to read and yeah, well, full of secrets. If he'd realised there were such anti Semites, maybe he wouldn't have had such a problem with them. <laughs> I'm happy to say, though that the first woman police officer with arresting powers, Edith Smith, got her job in 1915. Do you mean arresting powers literally or figuratively? <laughs> so, out of all those out of police chasing Hannay, yeah. there's one woman. There's one woman. She's there's, probably the one who catches him. <laughs> there's one woman she, all be capable run, of arresting him. All be Do you know around. what? She'd probably have been saying to them, yeah. oh, he's there, he's over there. He's over there, what are you doing? I've, I've worked out where he is, let's go and get him. They all went, oh, don't worry about it, love. Yeah. Don't worry about it. No, he's not there. We're not very good with Max, <laughs> they would have said. It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to home. It's a long way to Tipperary. To the sweetest girl I know. Goodbye, Piccadilly. Farewell, Leicester Square. It's a long, long way to The immediate thing to do was to get to the loneliest roads. These I soon found when I struck up a tributary of the big river and got into a glen with steep hills all about me and a corkscrew road at the end which climbed over a pass. Here I met nobody, but it was taking me too far north, so I slewed east along a bad track and finally struck a big double-line railway. Away below me I saw another broadish valley, and it occurred to me that if I crossed it I might find some remote inn to pass the night. The evening was now drawing in, and I was furiously hungry, for I had eaten nothing since breakfast except a couple of buns I had bought from a baker's cart. Just then I heard a noise in the sky, and lo and behold, there was that infernal aeroplane, flying low, about a dozen miles to the south, and rapidly coming towards me. Uh Uh-oh. We're trying to work out where he is at this moment, because this is where he crashes in to the car of the Liberal candidate. Yes, he's suddenly so on my left by I, the plane. Yeah. Suddenly on my left I heard the hoot of another car. I realised to my horror that I was almost up on a couple of gateposts through which a private road debouched on the highway. My horn gave an agonised roar, but it was too late. So, interesting, gateposts, a driveway. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the house quite. of the Liberal candidate. Yes. So There's a whole scene where he meets the Liberal candidate and then goes and gives a fake speech about his time in Australia. Ludicrous scene. Yeah. But anyway, he's there with the Liberal candidate. So where's the house? Now, look, we need to confess that we've been... we consulting Patterson and Patterson. Well, yeah, I was thinking, this is going to be easy. Yeah. Because we found on the internet, thoughts and suggestions on Richard Hannay's travels through southern Scotland by J.A. Patterson and W.M. Russell Patterson. Mm. Patterson and Patterson. Patterson and Patterson. It goes into very fine detail, referring to old maps, about the whole trip. Yeah. And I'm thinking, great, well, we don't, we don't tell anyone we've got Patterson and Patterson. 
and we just turn up and just do what our pa- own work, and, and then pass it off as our own work. Yeah. Which is obviously we do that quite We've a lot. We've never done that before. We just take stuff off the web that, yeah. by people who know things, yeah. and then read them out. That's basically That's what job. we do. That's our job. That's yeah. what we do. <laughs> The passenger passengers say, after crossing the River Clyde, Hannay turned right onto the A74 and belted over Betook Summit to the narrow upper valley of the Evan Water. There's a private road to Nether Howcleugh yeah. on the east side of the railway. Because of the new dual carriageway, any gateposts that might have been there have vanished. Yeah. A photograph of the construction of the dual carriageway shows how deep the river is below the road and how much infilling had to be done east and west of the railway bridge. So that's quite good, that's isn't quite it? good, yeah. He also says, because the, the Liberal candidate says, oh, I've got to go and do a speech in Brattleburn. Mm. Patterson Patterson say Brattleburn is actually the name of a farm. Oh, there we go. There's the train. Perfect. Not quite a small train. Yeah. Brattleburn is actually the name of a farm at the head of the Cloffin Burn to the west of the A74, almost due south of Nether Howcleugh. So, Patson Patson helpful, yeah. but not entirely trustworthy. No, I, I think in this one they've probably got it largely right. I think that, that, that feels about right. To yes, me. when we were trying to find the literary innkeeper yeah. and where he jumped off onto the train, I think, that, and the station, they just said that was New Galloway. It so wasn't. No. So who's the Liberal candidate then? <sighs> You've been this, doing some work on that, haven't you? I'm very pleased with this. Because I have found a rather interesting character called Percy Moltino. Moltino? <laughs> yeah. Percy Moltino. What a guy. Edinburgh-born South African lawyer. Mm. So, Buckins a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Hannay, South, South African. African. Company director. Is Hannay South African? We don't know that. We, we don't know. He know. Went oh, to South well, Africa. he's got a range of accents. Yeah. Fluent in German. Yeah. Well, right? Just saying. Yeah. Liberal Member of Parliament from 1906 to 1918 in Dumfrieshire, this very constituency. Lovely. Very good. Now, he's an extraordinary guy. Moltino was born in Edinburgh. He became a really successful shipping magnate because he was the first person to invent refrigeration techniques for large shipping vessels he's a fridge magnet you see what I've done there fridge magnet. <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> you've been saving that the whole journey up here it's not, I haven't been thinking about anything else really okay. yeah so he developed these refrigeration methods so that he was the first person to successfully introduce South African fruit to Europe oh. and he became filthy rich off the back he had two brothers so there's three Maltino brothers yeah now, he was a free trader, obviously. He was very liberal. Here comes the train. He was very liberal. Do you know, he was actually a friend of black activists in South Africa. Oh, really? He campaigned vigorously against the Boer War. He was friendly with the founders of the ANC. Yeah. And he hated Cecil Rhodes. Right. So he wouldn't have liked Hannay, Hane, would he? He wouldn't have liked Hannay at all, I don't think. Yeah. But he's the guy. So he's, he's already the MP. In 1914. So is it right yeah. to call him the candidate? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? The Liberal candidate for the area. Because we were wondering when they... Because we the, the general election was suspended during the First World War, right? Yes. So there was no election between 1910 and 1918. That's right. Oh. He didn't live around here. No? That's the only other issue as well. He married into another big Scottish family that owned Glen Lyon. I mean, the whole Glen, basically. And, the big, and there's a very big house in Glen Lyon... Mm. That's quite a way away, mm. up north. You're not crashing your car into that. So we're finding a number of inconsistencies now. Well, I'm worrying we? about Hene generally. I'm worried about whether the whole thing is just a stitch-up. And why do you think that? The main reason is, is where we're going to next, right? Yes. The main reason. Yes. Yeah, he gets all the way up to Scotland. Yes, yeah, so happens to stumble. He's running away, away, away. He happens to stumble upon the lair of the mastermind the behind professor, the whole thing. The evil professor. Who happens to be in Scotland. Yeah, just, he's heading there all the time. Well, yeah, he's not reliable. Now, the other reason you'd be running around this area yeah. in 1914 is you'd be a spy recording Britain's build-up of armaments Absolutely. and uh, ships and of stuff. Of which there were several. So we're going to have to talk about that, aren't we? Are. we? So if Hannay was one of those people yeah. pretending not to be one of those people... Does change the tenor of the book somewhat, right? <laughs> 
He's one of the Black Stone. He is the Black Stone. He's the Black Stone. Fantastic bench. We found a, a lovely bench in a, in a glen. For nothing else, you should tune into our podcast for a great list of British benches. We should compile it sometime and yeah. turn it into a thing. Into bench wiki? No, because I've told you it's on the dark oh, it's web. It's on the dark web, yeah. And only people, only certain people, are allowed to access to the information. It's very tiresome your dark web cliquiness. <laughs> we stopped because we saw some Germans. A Volkswagen. A Volkswagen with two Germans in it. Yes. Looking around them. Yeah, looking suspicious. Looking suspicious. Yeah. And and once you've read this book, everything looks suspicious. Well, particularly Germans. Well, there were quite a lot of Germans around here in 1914, I love reading about right? these, these spies that were sort of popping up because they were all, they were all useless, <laughs> weren't they? They were kind of making it up as they went well, along. Well, to be fair, it was the early days of spying. So I was reading about Carl uh, Hans Lodi. He was useless. He was useless. I'm actually getting this off the MI5 site. <laughs> Karl Hans Lodi was a junior lieutenant in the German Naval Reserve who spied in Britain and Ireland at the start of the First World War. But as far as I can see, he just wandered around the Edinburgh Leaf area looking at ships. Yeah. And Ostentatiously taking notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, so, and then he ended up fleeing to Ireland because he thought they were on to him. And so Lodi was eventually arrested. And had this extraordinary scene where he was tried. In they, they really they could not work out what to do with him because they couldn't try him for treason because he wasn't British. So by definition, he can't be a traitor. So what did they um, do with him? He was put on trial for war treason, a rarely used charge which treated espionage as a war crime, and was punishable by the death penalty. He was hung, and extraordinarily, he was hung in the Tower of London. Technically, I think it's hanged. Hanged in the Tower of London. Sorry. While, while people were still walking around it as tourists. They could watch they him kept, being hanged? No, 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 he was hanged off the, off the Oh, I somewhere. see, I was going to say... But it was still open to tourists while it was all happening. Right. Bonkers, isn't it? Because they didn't know what to do with him. Anyway, so he was... I think he's the last person to be executed in the Tower of London. It was a German spy. Is that right? Mm. Wow. Well, this whole business, this idea that the country was riddled with German spies... Yeah. ...is very rife at this time... Because the other great German spy of the period, also rubbish at his job, or yeah. was he deliberately rubbish? Well, indeed. Is Armguard Carl Graves. And he was operating well before the war. And in 1912, he went to Edinburgh. So he's in Edinburgh as well. Yeah, and to Glasgow. And he was filing lots of reports on engineering works and boat building and arms building. Back to Germany? Yeah. From 1912. But the great thing about him was he was, again, caught quite quickly. They put him on trial in 1912. Yeah. They put him on trial and put him in prison um, and then quietly let him go a year later because he'd become a double agent and he was working for the British. But he told the British a load of lies about the huge number of spies that were active in Britain uh, as part of his confession. He made up so that a load to, of them. Added to the paranoia. Yeah. And then he published a book. He published a book in 1914 called The Secrets of the German War Office. This is in 1914 when Buchan's writing this book. Yeah, and when Carl Hans Lodi's doing his stuff. Doing his stuff. Uh, with details of how the Germans were everywhere. Everywhere, right. it's online. Actually, you can you can read this book in Google Books. Wasn't there a thing that he got confused with Robert Graves? At yes, one there, point? there was a moment that he did. Yes, that's right. Yes, the poor old Robert Graves got <laughs> got charged with street with treason or something. Yeah, yeah. it's mad, very right? Odd, so odd. there was a lot of really mad talk about German spies yeah. going on. So that's so this book's feeding well into that. Isn't yeah, it? and particularly in Scotland because this is where they're building up the forces yeah so all the secrets about war technology 
would have been right here. Yeah. No one's told Richard Hannay any of this. Well... He doesn't seem to know that the one place he's chosen to run to is A, full of German spies, and B, highly militarised zone. Well, unless he's a spy as well. Uh, Unless he's actually working undercover, and this whole book is an elaborate ruse. Comes here, he, he meets all these spies. He happens to come to the one part of the country where the spies all are, despite trying to disappear completely. He then travels around the, uh, the moors and the glens. He makes that up, doesn't seems he? Seems to miss a whole mining operation in the, in, in the hills. Um, and I'm, Yeah, he just makes it all up. And actually what he's doing is looking at ships. And pains by your sons and several chains. We will drain our dearest veins, but they shall be free. Lay the proud usurpers low, tyrants fall in every foe, liberties in every blow. Let us go or die. I knew very little about the country, and I hadn't a notion what I was going to do. I trusted to the strength of my legs but I was well aware that those behind me would be familiar with the lie of the land and that my ignorance would be a heavy handicap. I jumped a dike and followed it, and after a few hundred yards, as soon as it was out of sight of the highway, the grass stopped and it became a very respectable road, which was evidently kept with some care. Clearly it ran to a house, and I began to think of doing the same. Hitherto my luck had held, and it might be that my best chance would be found in this remote dwelling... Anyhow, there were trees there, and that meant cover. A glance back told me that I was well out of sight of the pursuit, which had not yet passed the first lift of the moor. The lawn of the house was a very rough place, cut with a scythe instead of a mower, and planted with beds of scrubby rhododendrons. A brace of black game, which are not usually garden birds, rose at my approach. The house before me was the ordinary moorland farm with a more pretentious whitewashed wing added. Attached to this wing was a glass veranda, and through the glass I saw the face of an elderly gentleman meekly watching me. I've got an elderly gentleman meekly watching me. If they look out the window of their house now, they're going to see two elderly gentlemen meekly watching them. (laughs) They must be wondering what we're doing. They must be wondering what we're doing. Where are we, Lloyd? We are well. We're we're somewhat up a hill. You've brought me a, 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 a bit a bit of a way. I made up a, you have a bit of a walk. A bit of a walk. We haven't done much walking on this trip. We've done lots of car driving. Mm. We have driven all the way around a set of hills that are to the, the east and the southeast of the Clyde Valley, and we've driven down a long straight road through the woods. About ten the end of it, miles. It was to ten miles to a place called Manorhead. Yes, Manorhead Farm. Well, you see, Patterson, Patterson... Patterson, Patterson. They are good on this point, that they say that when Hannay decides not to be a roadman anymore, one of his many disguises Mm. in the story, weird how he can be so good at pretending to be other people, isn't it? Yeah, other people can be good at it such that he doesn't recognise them either. It's (laughs) extraordinary. It's all weird. It's like Mission Impossible. But it does say that he then hijacks a car and drives eight miles up the road and then turns off into the hills yeah so eight miles from where we think the roadsman's house was or yeah. where he worked would take you beyond Tweedsmuir yeah a few miles north of Tweedsmuir if you go north of Tweedsmuir on that main road and then turn right into the hills yeah and then you feel like oh my god the police are coming and the gamekeepers and they're yeah. all going to chase me and you're running away from them you go across a hill called Dollar Law yeah and from there, you look down and think and look for a house. Yeah. There are only two houses down here. There are. Now, interestingly, the other farm on the other side, in the other valley, do you know what they specialise in? No. Aerial photography. <laughs> okay. They've got an aerial photography so business they, down there. Does that mean they've got a plane? Well, they've got drones. I oh, know. They've Funny. got drones. So we're in the right place, mate. There's a tradition of... Uh, of shooting things from the air. Here. Yeah. So this farm here... Yeah, Manorhead. Manorhead it's farm. Space. It is white uh, stucco. It is white, and it does have a little extension, but not a pretentious one, I would say. No, it doesn't it, have a veranda. It doesn't look like it has a veranda, but it has a back garden. It does have a back garden. Yeah, and a, a rough lawn. 
I can't see any rhododendrons, though. No. There's trees, though. It looks like that probably would have been some kind of orchard. Yes. But it's right at the end of this long, long valley, then surrounded by green hills all around it. And it's in the pocket of them, isn't it? Basically? It's a glen, I think we're in. Yes, the yeah, glen. I think this is very much a glen. And if he was coming up from behind... We're, we're sitting above it, so on the yeah. hill, that Hannay would have had to run along, yeah. and then he would have seen this. Have seen this is the only the, place he would have seen, really. the valley. It's the only place on the map, isn't it? Yeah. So we found it. So obviously Patter and Patterson have referred to it before, but I haven't seen anybody else actually come out here and say, if you want to reenact the 39 steps and get to the right place, this is where you'd get to. We've done it again, mate. So where we're recording this, there's actually a, come from another farmhouse. Okay, a guy just that you might have heard him coming out with his trailer. What's he up to? Well, he's, he's farming, isn't he? Or is he moving his explosives? What's he got in that green barn up there? He's moving his explosives. That's like an explosive stall to me. Everything's could, suspicious That now. could even be a rocket launcher next to it. Well, I think we've been infected by John Buchan's paranoia, haven't we? Well, we're going to carry on the paranoia. We're going to head south now. We're, we've been, we'd have had a lovely time in uh, Dumfriesshire, as, as was. Yes. Uh, and now we're going to head back down south via Queen Anne's Gate in London, and then we're going to head straight down to Broadstairs. We're in search of the 39 steps. So the we've actual done, 39 we've steps. We've done the Scottish episode, and then we're doing the, the last bit of the book, which is The Hunt. Again, for the same people, yeah. the professor and his cronies. But for but some a, reason, they don't recognise them. But in a different house. And they've, have they got, they've got very quickly, they've gone from Scotland and yeah. set up as three English people what, down, what, in, down in Broadstairs. They've got a plane, haven't they? So why did they bother with the Scottish house? What were they doing? Very odd. I don't understand it. So Maybe join, it more makes sense in part two. Join us in a week's time for part two, or mm. sign up to us on Patreon and listen to it right away. It's ready for you to listen to right now for £2. Yes. Check out at patreon.com, search for Curiosity Specific. Otherwise, you will join us again in a week's time and we'll be sitting on a cliff above the, a bay in, in Broadstairs in Kent. Yes, I think we've got something to show you. Definitely.